Uh, this morning, we are welcoming a guest speaker. Yep. <laughs> so this is a Nina Findling. Yep. Yes, got it all right. <laughs> and she's the National Networking Manager at Baptist Financial Services. I'm sure she'll introduce herself a little bit further. Um, so, God, do your stuff. Okay. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and... Lord, I just want to pray for Anina this morning, Lord, that you just anoint her words, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, mm-hmm. amen. Amen. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be with you. And uh, I really enjoyed coming up for the conference, the Women's Together Conference. It's been a real privilege to be part of that again. I came up last year for the first time and... Um, So as you can see, I'm uh, the networking manager for Baptist Financial Services. And for those of you that might not have been involved with the process, we help to finance this amazing building that you're in. And uh, (laughs) so it's been great to partner with you on that journey. And when I was at the women's conference, everyone I talked to was just in glowing praises of this facility and uh, just recognizing the work that's gone into it and the promise that it speaks of. And it really is like a city on a hill in this community. And it's an amazing opportunity to be a blessing to your community. And uh, Tony was pretty excited, uh, looking ahead to hosting many together conferences here. So um, thank you for your generosity in sharing this building. And it's great to already see it being a blessing for the kingdom of God. So um, on Friday night, our speaker, opening speaker opened her session with... Um, the question, what do you smell of? And I thought that was a really way, interesting way to start the session. And uh, so she was going on to talk about Daniel 3 and how the smoke of the fiery furnace was not on the Hebrews that were in the fire. And she then went on to talk about the brokenness in her life and how pain and trauma and damage that we experience can often be a lingering smell on us. But I have to say the first thing I thought of was the hire car that I've been driving for the last four days. Um, So as I've been trekking around Darwin with my various um, appointments, uh, it had this distinct smell of weed in it. (laughs) And it's like every time I turned on the car, it felt like a little, you know in the heat when smells are augmented, it felt like a little puff of marijuana came through the vent. So I was really afraid she was going to do one of these interactive sessions of, you know, turn to your neighbor and have a sniff and... uh, (laughs) I'd be like, it's not me, it's my vehicle, right? Um, Good luck pulling that one off. But uh, yeah, what I'd love to talk to you about today is uh, um, something that's really close to my heart. And the next slide actually reflects a little bit more of who I am in terms of my family. That's my husband, Harry, and my son, Lucas, who's 21, and daughter, Ellie, who's 19, and we're on top of Bluff Knoll there with all the combination of sweat and exhaustion, but freezing uh, climate up there, and uh, that was uh, a highlight of our family. And uh, what I'm speaking about today interacts a lot with not only who I am, but um, with our family, and that's why I wanted to give you a bit of a snapshot of how God has blessed us incredibly as a family. Um, so the, the topic I want to talk about to you today is something that I'm really passionate about because it speaks about partly the redemptive uh, testimony of my past, as well as something that gives me a hope for the future. So uh, the reason that it's a part of uh, my redemptive story is because I grew up in a home that was riddled with conflict. 
Uh, my dad was an introverted engineer who loved nothing more than working the land of the 480-acre hobby farm that we had in Alberta, Canada. And uh, my mom was so a polar opposite. She was an extroverted city girl, and uh, she found her identity in social circles outside of the home. And they just seemed to bring out the worst in each other. And it just felt like the inside of our home was like a fizzy drink bottle where the conflict was constantly bubbling up and never really had an opportunity to escape. And sometimes I actually thought, I would just wish they would get divorced and just let the conflict out and get on with it, just because there was so much conflict. They both had their shares of uh, affairs, sometimes even within our home, and we, as kids, just kind of got dragged through the mess of that. And so it was quite a mess in our home growing up. But uh, the, the effect that this upbringing had on me is that um, I eventually started to become like my parents in really kind of disconnecting from my family. And I became very independent and performance-driven, like my father. So he was in management in our family uh, company, and he was working long hours, and uh, both of my parents were never home. And so in our early years, we were actually raised by nannies. And then when we went to school, we pretty much had to fend for ourselves. And I was bullied intensively all the way up to high school, and my mom never had a clue. It just, yeah, we were just like little islands that uh, were self-sufficient, and we hardly ever intersected. And so they weren't really there for me as a kid. Uh, they were pretty distant from us as kids growing up. So that's kind of what was modeled to me. And often, you probably find that the things that are modeled to us, we tend to perpetuate. Um, so when I then, I left home when I was 17, never moved back after that. Um, but God has been incredibly faithful in bringing people into my life that have invested into me, that have mentored me and uh, spurred me on. And uh, that's really been a part of my healing and transforming journey. And I'm also fact, uh, grateful for the fact that after the age of 30, once my husband and Harry, uh, Harry and I had our two kids, um, we became closer again as a family. My, I connected with my mom. She really helped out with my kids. And that started a season of healing and uh, reconciliation in my family. And um, I grew to be quite close to my parents. And I'm really close to my mom still. And my dad died two years ago. And God really helped me to forgive and let go of my past. But again, that kind of formed the way I instinctively thought and operated and how I started raising our kids as well. And uh, so it turned out that I'm not very good at the stay-at-home mom thing. So um, after we immigrated to Australia from Canada, my, mom, my husband and I did a Mr. Mom swap and we thought it was just going to be for a year. And it uh, turns out 18 years later and counting, that has been something that worked really well for our family. He's been a fantastic and patient dad something that I would have probably not done as well with. And uh, so he did really well staying at home with them. And uh, so as I invested into my finance and banking career, I did 12 years with Commonwealth Bank here uh, in Australia, and I clawed my way up at the ranks, just so performance-driven and wanting to see, uh, to exceed, and just fueled sometimes. You know, we can be fueled by sometimes within, something within us that we're not even aware of at times. 
And so I was fueled by this performance drivenness to exceed and uh, succeed and be recognized by the world. I just needed those accolades. And sometimes we look at this to fill a void within us. And uh, I found that in the early years of my life, I was really disconnecting from my family. And not only was I often physically absent from my family, um, I was doing long management hours uh, once I had climbed up the ladder in the banking world. But even then, when sometimes when I was inside the home, I just found that I, I wasn't really present. And uh, when my energetic kids or my caring husband would say things to me or try to involve me in the energy of family life, I was either exhausted or just, I just, there's so much going on in my brain that I just didn't even want to engage with them. And uh, thankfully, early on, God kind of woke me up. And uh, thankfully, he doesn't leave us in our brokenness and selfishness. Amen? Uh, he interrupted my life, and he made me realize how at risk I was of losing contact with them. And um, I just had a startling realization that if I was going to continue on this selfish introspective, performance-driven uh, path that I was on, I would potentially lose my um, connection with my growing up kids and my family um, long-term. And that's actually something that then spurred me to step out of the rat race of commercial banking to then look at joining uh, the not-for-profit finance world. And then I stepped back into a part-time role with uh, Baptist Financial Services, and I really intensively looked back into my family life to invest myself into my kids and my family that I was taking so much for granted. So that's how this topic has really become a passion for my life. So um, when I've studied the Gospels, uh, the character of Peter has really stood out to me. And uh, Peter, I just find, he's just such a relatable guy. You know, he's really human. He's in extroverted, outspoken, spontaneous, brash, sometimes extremely bold and other times crumbling in fear. And that just, I just resonated with me. And that was just someone I could so relate to. And interestingly enough, Peter is spoken about more in the Gospels than any other disciples. In fact, more than all the other disciples put together. So here's a fun Google fact. As Peter's spoken 191 times, his name is mentioned, in the Gospels, uh, compared to uh, John, who's only mentioned 48 times. And even then, that's not really fair because he wrote one of the four Gospels and he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So not a fair comparison. So uh, Jesus invested a lot into Peter. And as I studied the interaction and relationship that Jesus had with Peter, I was very intrigued to dig a little bit further. So that's what we're going to look at today, how Jesus um, invested into the disciple Peter. So first of all, uh, Jesus intentionally sought Peter out. So we read in John 1, verses 40 to 42, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother was one of the two who heard that what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So Cephas is the Aramaic, uh, the Hebrew, uh, and the Peter is the Greek, and they both mean the rock. 
So right from the beginning, Jesus uh, sought Peter out and uh, knew who he was. He didn't wait for the introduction. He said, you are. He knew him right from the very beginning. So it's pretty interesting when you think about the fact that Jesus really only had three years of intensive ministry to turn humanity and history on its head, to totally transform uh, and introduce the kingdom of God. And although he did speak to thousands at a time, he actually spent most of his time with his 12 disciples. And often he even withdrew with especially three of them and did extra work investing into them, mentoring them. And that was Peter, James, and John. So Peter knew well in advance that, uh, Jesus knew well in advance that Simon would become a key disciple in building his kingdom. So he really invested a lot into him. Do you ever feel invisible? I find that sometimes it's, uh, especially in a crowded room when people know each other and uh, people kind of walk past you and don't always make eye contact and it, there's the, a lonely feeling that that has on you when you kind of feel like people aren't connecting with you and so I try to go out of my way to introduce myself to people but the thing with this is that Jesus knew people and he knows every one of you and he seeks you out and he seeks to make a relationship with you and he knows you he has a future for you in the same way that he saw Peter and invested into him. And so when uh, Jesus renamed Peter, it was a reflection of the fact that in the Hebrew culture, uh, names were really important and they had a lot of spiritual significance. And uh, especially in the Old Testament, often we hear about uh, someone's name that uh, implied who they were going to be, like um, Esau and Jacob. Jacob's name was Cheater because he cheated his uh, brother out of the birthright and uh, he had a history of cheating. And then God renamed him to uh, Israel, and uh, in the same way here, Jesus renames Peter right at the first introduction and speaks a future promise into him, which leads us into our second point. So throughout Peter's growth journey, Jesus spoke promise into Peter. We read in Matthew 16, verses 16 to 19, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? So Jesus was addressing the crowds because um, they were asking, who is he? And then he turned the question to his disciples. Who do you say I am? Do you kind of get what I'm about? He's test testing them. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So right from the beginning, Jesus spoke promise into Peter, and he did that throughout Peter's growth journey, not just fo focusing on who he was now, but who he was to, come, to become. And, you know, our, our words have incredible power to build people up or tear people down. And often when we can help those following our footsteps to see what they can become, past their current limitations and obstacles to focus on the future. That's what Jesus does with us, and he calls us to do that with others. I find for me personally, I have to be really careful with the words that I speak. Uh, I have a German heritage, and Germans are known to be a bit direct and blunt and a bit critical. <laughs> I see people nodding, you're either German or you know Germans. <laughs> so um, that can be a challenge, and I'm constantly learning to soften my language with people. 
and to really intentionally work at building them up in the same way that Jesus did with Peter. So, um, yeah, it's a determination to do everything, to encourage people and spur them on to love and good deeds and uh, really build people up. But the balancing element of that is our third point, where uh, Jesus also spoke truth into people's lives with love, even when it hurt. Continuing on in that same passage in Matthew 16, in the later verses 21 to 23, from that time, Jesus uh, began to explain to his disciples that he must go to the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Ouch. That's uh, pretty intense. We find uh, Jesus harshly disciplining and rebuking Peter here. But before we start judging Peter too much, we might need to remember the passage that we had just read before, as these are two passages that are likely very linked to each other. So in the previous point, I just talked about how Peter had received this divine revelation of who Jesus was, and Jesus gave him the highest praise in return, right? So Jesus, uh, Peter must have been thinking, wow, I'm getting this. Look at me. I'm ahead of this troop behind me. They're not getting it. I clearly have got it. God speaks to me. We are talking spiritual authority here, right? And sometimes we can get a bit big in the head, and we can sometimes, um, yeah, God needs to burst that bubble. And uh, <laughs> I've had that happen so many times in my life. Uh, it's quite painful, and I'm trying to learn to humble myself before God has to do that with me. And so Jesus brought him quickly back down to earth. And um, that's the way that he disciples and prunes and teaches us and takes away that stuff in us that is human, our selfish ambition and our ways of thinking that are not in line with him. So he uh, rebuked Peter here and uh, Peter had a lot to learn. So we can imagine that Peter must have plummeted from a major high to feeling completely crushed. But um, think of the fruit that it bore later in his life. And you can almost see that each intervention, each interaction that Jesus had with Peter led to the fruit that we'll speak about later. Each was a key discipling moment. So love also speaks truth. And some of the most valuable aspects of mentoring in my life have been when people have helped me to see blind spots and have given me constructive feedback. I always welcome feedback and uh, I ask people to speak into my life, which makes it a bit easier for them when they're like burning to tell me something that's really obvious. And um, so I try to, I used to be really defensive and uh, not take feedback very well. And so now I try to intentionally invite feedback for those that I admire and I'm looking up to, and sometimes it's an ongoing mentoring relationship, sometimes it's just a one-off case where um, I just have done a presentation and I just ask people for some honest feedback on something that I've done. But that really has helped me in my growth journey. 
And as an example of uh, speaking truth in love, in WA um, down in Perth, there's um, a couple of really powerful uh, rehabilitation ministries for those caught in uh, the destructive lifestyles of drug addiction. And some of you may know that Perth is one of the major methamphetamine distributors of, uh, in the world. Apparently, it's the third largest uh, center for meth and ice dis distribution. So it's an incredibly destructive uh, thing that people get caught up into, sometimes even without realizing where it will lead. And it's incredibly impacting on not just those uh, caught up in addiction, but on the families around them. So we've got two very powerful ministries. Uh, Shalom House is for the men, and Esther Foundation is for the women. Uh, you may have heard of these ministries. And uh, so I've just joined the board of Esther Foundation because I believe that that is a ministry with uh, so much promise, and it's very effective. Um, so Peter Lyndon James uh, is now touring the country doing p tough love seminars for families of those uh, caught up in addictions. And one of his favorite saying is... Uh, he tells the guys that he mentors, uh, these guys who are coming out of drug addiction and gun smuggling, just as he himself did, and they're con artists, they're thieves, uh, they're manipulators, and he says to them, I'm going to be who you need me to be, not who you want me to be, all right? So he's this crusty guy who's just tats everywhere, and uh, he's the right guy for that kind of ministry because it's a pretty tough uh, ministry. But uh, he is, in his mentoring process of these guys, you can imagine that being nice isn't going to be going very far in terms of getting these guys to deal with some of their uh, pretty intensive uh, drug addictions. And so he, as a mentor, is who they need him to be, not who they want him to be. And so I've learned from that. So you can Google shalomhouse.com.au if you want to learn some more about this ministry. All right, carrying on, fourth out of six point. Jesus gave Peter opportunity to try things and learn from failure. We were just in Matthew 16 in a few chapters prior. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with only a few loaves and a few fish, and the disciples had witnessed this incredible miracle. And uh, just before the passage that we're about to read, um, the background is that immediately after that miracle, Jesus uh, told his disciples to get into a boat, to go across the lake. Sometimes that was the only way to get away from the masses that were watching his miracles and just following his every move. So sometimes getting a boat was the only physical way to escape. But he sent his disciples on ahead of him. He wanted to spend some time alone with his heavenly father. And they might have been wondering, it's going to take all of us in this big boat to row across the lake. How are you going to follow? Um, <laughs> Good luck with that. And, uh, but he told them to go on, and so they went. And it actually took them all night through heavy, stormy winds to row across the lake. And so this is where we find them in Matthew 14. Shortly before dawn, so it was still nighttime, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. 
Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter always seemed to be that guy. You know, the kid in your class at the front of the room, and the teacher asks everybody in the class a question, and he's like, ooh, 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 pick me, you know? Who does this? So they're in the boat with all of these disciples, just freaking out. And Peter goes, that's cool. I want to try that. And tell me to come out to you on the water. He's just this guy who just throws himself into situations. I find myself doing that all the time, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I haven't actually learned to swim yet. And uh, so he says, that's cool, I want to try that. And he just puts himself out there. And Jesus is just such a great teacher and mentor. And he goes, come, have a go. And that's just a beautiful picture of just him walking with Peter through the way that Peter was, through his personality, through his brashness. Jesus knew that Peter was prone to extremes of boldness and fear, but he just said, come. And just think about what Peter would have learned from the situation. You know, it's, he wasn't sitting in some classrooms and studying the theories of the density of water and is this physically possible. He was actually just stepping out in faith and, and having a go at growing towards Jesus. And Jesus just gave him that opportunity and um, said, come. And uh, so we all know how the story turns out. He started realizing the circumstances were stacked against him. This was actually a pretty crazy thing to do and then started sinking. But before that failure, what we would call a failure, just think of the exhilaration of feeling the water become solid under his feet. And then the feeling of that shifting suddenly to terror and intimidation by the circumstances and how you could always look back on that situation and how he'd experienced Jesus in that situation. So he took an incredible risk, but he would have learned so much through that step of stepping out. And God's really teaching me not to beat myself up over failure, but just to have a go and just see it as a learning lesson and to move on from it. Okay, fifth. Jesus led by example and modeled the values he wanted his disciples to live by. The worst boss I ever had was known to tell us as employees, do as I say and not as I do. So I can tell you from personal experience that never works. So for a limited time, we may do what our bosses and tell us to do because we have to, but inevitably, if they don't walk the talk, we lose respect for them. And the death toll on that relationship is already predicting that things won't end well. But the best role models in our lives inspired us by who they were and how they lived. And Jesus was no exception. In fact, he was and still is the ultimate role model for every one of us because he is the only person that has ever lived a perfect life. So he lived it out with his disciples. He ate and breathed and drank and did ministry with them, and he drew them into everything he did. And the only time he was actually separate from his disciples was also the perfect example where he removed himself to spend time alone with his heavenly father. So he showed them by his personal example. So we read in John 13, verse 12, when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. 
once heard a really good sermon on mentoring, and they said, as often as possible, take someone with you. Whenever you can, just draw people in with you. And not just to the way that you would do ministry, but into your life, into your family rhythms. Sometimes people come from such dysfunctional backgrounds that even just seeing how a messy and healthy family operates can be so impacting and transforming. So wherever you can, take someone with you and show them how you live out your faith and your walk. So lastly, Jesus' intentional investment into Peter paid off. Peter's character was transformed and he truly became the rock of the early G uh, church as Jesus had predicted. So from the book of Acts onwards, we read about this new Peter, this transformed person who really did become the rock of the early church. He was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and uh, he preached boldly to many who then believed in Jesus. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, just after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had come down in tongues of fire in this dramatic display of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and people were speaking in unknown tongues, uh, people around were watching this, thinking they were either crazy or drunk. And so Peter stands up boldly and was very clear and authoritative in his speech before thousands of people. So he stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So then he proceeded to go through the Old Testament and how Jesus was a fulfillment of Scripture and uh, how he was sent to the Israelites and how Jesus has become a stumbling block to the Jews and that's still a problem to this present day. But he had such God-given authority on him that we read in the next passage... Then uh, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Then those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's a pretty good outcome for a sermon, isn't it? 3,000 taking that step, that next step. Okay, we're going to follow this. What do we do? So this Peter went on to then write, on, write the books of First and Second Peter, books of deep wisdom that paralleled the writings and leadership of Paul the Apostle. And both of these men became the pillars of Christianity, which has not only survived, but thrived under per terrible persecution to become the leading world religion today, followed by approximately 31% of the world's population. So as I wrap up, at the beginning, I mentioned there were two reasons why this topic was really passionate to me. One aspect was the redemptive part of my past, which forms part of my testimony. And the other part was the hope of the future. And it's a hope and a promise that I look to. And I'm now in my 50s, and I'm thinking ahead to the years where my identity and role is not so much about the intensive years of parenting or the performance-driven years of career building. I'm now looking ahead to um, a yet-to-be-defined future. And as much as we like to plan what we'd like our life to, be lo to look like, there's a lot that's beyond our control. We can't really predict uh, how physically able we're going to be and that kind of thing. So um, I found that this is something that just gives me a hope and a purpose, that no matter what state I am, this role might even outlast 
my role of being a wife and a mother, that even if I'm infirm, you hear amazing testimonies of people from hospital beds, caring for their nurses, caring for people who are rallying them, just investing into people at every opportunity that they get. And um, studies have shown that in the later years, uh, when someone had uh, something to live for, some sort of purpose beyond themselves, and they invested into uh, something or someone, even like a pet or a plant, it just... Uh, actually gave them a sense of purpose and a meaning and a richness for life. So this is something that I look forward to, being able to live out for the rest of my days to whatever capacity God gives me. So let me finish with this last mission, should you choose to accept it. This is something I ask myself all the time, and it confronts me sometimes, uh, but it challenges me just to step up just to continually try to be an inspiration at whatever, whatever opportunity I have. Am I living a life that would inspire someone to ask me to mentor them? So in my early years as a mom, sometimes I'd have uh, moms asking me, how do I get my toddler to stop throwing a tantrum in a shopping center? Or how do I get my school-age kids to eat their veggies? And, and so you just kind of, well, I tried this, you could try that, and you walk through moms. And now that I've had many years behind me in terms of careers and I've had eight years on boards now I'm trying to help uh, especially young women to have a go at uh, sitting on boards and learning leadership lessons through that um, opportunity so whether it's professional or personal uh, you have opportunities to invest in those who are following your footsteps and secondly if you are already a parent mentor teacher or coach what practical steps could you take to further invest intentionally into those who are following in your footsteps. So when you're a parent, uh, you have kids that are watching you, that are following you, whether you like it or not. So even when you think, oh, it's just too hard and I can just barely cope and survive myself, how can I think about anyone else or investing into them? They're watching you and every bit that we can do makes a difference. So I'd like to finish with one of my favorite quotes from John Maxwell, who's often the guru of leadership. He's wrote many books and had incredible success in the Christian leadership world. In his last uh, part of his career season, when he looked back on his life, he uh, concluded that his definition of success is having those closest to me love and respect me the most. So despite all of his accomplishments, having those who knew him best, his definition of success was being loved and respected by those who knew him and loved him most. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for challenging us. You don't leave us where we are. You invest into us. You bring healing from our damaged pasts, and you want to move us forward. You want to move us forward into forgiveness and releasing our past so that we can be empowered to be all that you've created us to be. And I pray today would just be an encouragement and challenge and maybe a bit of a kick in the bum for us that we can just grab a hold of something much bigger than ourselves and grab a hold of that passion for which you have won us that you want us to do likewise, to be there for others, to invest into them. Just help us to really take every opportunity to be a blessing and to love those that you have loved as well. In Jesus' name, amen.